Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What a marvelous celebration. C-3PO shuffled through the broad oval of Leia's state office. Afternoon sunlight streamed through the windows, gilding the white-on-white furnishings. The droid's golden metal plating shone as though he were new. Such an illustrious gathering. I dare say everyone in attendance will share the memory with their grandchildren someday. Never imagined this, Han had murmured, sitting up in their bed late at night, Ben's tiny head resting in the crook of his father's arm. Having a kid. Even wanting a kid. But now he's here and... And you're a dad. Leia had leaned closer, unable to resist the chance to tease her husband. Just think, Hotshot. Someday you might even be a granddad. Han's chuckle had warmed her. (laughs) Speak for yourself, sweetheart. Me? I ain't ever getting that old. Princess Leia? Leia snapped out of her reverie, back into the here and now. I apologize, Greer. It's been a long day. You were saying? Welcome, Masters and Padawans, to episode 167 of Full of Sith. I am not the Mike Pilot. Mike is off working this weekend. Instead, I'm your host, Brian Young, and uh, we lament Mike's absence on this show. It's going to be a good one. With me are my co-hosts, Amy Radcliffe, and we have uh, Ryan Call, who's the uh, a director of programming at Salt Lake Comic Con, to join us. Uh, hello, both of you. Hello. Hello. I just sneezed. Oh. So that's why I was delayed. Hi, everybody. Um, that's okay. I hope everything's okay over there. Yeah, just, you know, allergies are neat. So we're going to be talking about Bloodline, which is, this is, a, this is an episode I've wanted to do for like a month now, because Bloodline, uh, it's the new book from Del Rey by Claudia Gray, and it takes place, uh, well, what's the official? It's like five or six years before The Force Awakens. Something like that, without looking, I think that's pretty much, pretty much in that ballpark. And it fall- sure, okay. we we get we get that moment where the the resistance is, uh, you know, where we're seeing the generation of that, and so yeah, five or six years sounds about right. Um, so the book centers around Leia and the idea that the Republic is uh, going through some growing pains, and they're sort of teetering at a brink because of the decay left over from the influence of people who were maybe supportive of the Empire and possibly the uh, the whole First Order thing is kind of something that's percolating in the background, though not overtly and only once by name. Um, so for those of you who are listening, I would like to warn you that we are going to get deep into spoiler territory. We're going to talk about the book in detail. 
uh, and what we loved about it and maybe what we didn't like as much about it. But uh, if you haven't read it, I would take that opportunity to go now. I think I can speak for all three of us that we would give it a very uh, positive recommendation that, that if you're on the fence about reading it, just pause now, go read it, and then come back to this episode. Is that is that a fair fair to say on behalf of everybody here? Yes. Yeah, there's definitely some material here that you'd want to go into fresh and enjoy the way that the, the author created it without having heard it first. Um, so the the first thing I kind of want to talk and ask about was I was surprised um, I was surprised about what we learned uh, that it contextualized for The Force Awakens. And the thing that surprised me the most, and I'm curious um, if it struck you guys the same way or if maybe I'm misreading it, but uh, the situation with Luke and Ben, right? This close to the events of Force Awakens, I would have thought Ben's turn had been a done deal. And it's not. Or maybe it is, and Leia just doesn't know it yet. Well, it makes me... So, off, a while ago, and I need to dig up this tweet by Pablo, people were asking if the events at the temple that we see in... Or the academy, or whatever it is, in Ray's Force Vision, where we see the Knights of Ren... That's my coffee pot. Hi, everybody. Sorry. You're sneezing all over the place. My You're coffee pot's coffee. beeping. Jeez. But he talked about how that being at a different time than when Ray was left on Jakku. And I think this kind of confirms that because if it's five or six years, like when, I guess, when does the Masters of Ren thing take place? Because Ray, that's, it has to take place much longer after Ray, right? Well, I, yeah, I think that was uh, one of the big, I think that was the thing that surprised me is because there was a theory, and even it was a, th- it was a theory that I was entertaining in my head, the idea that, that maybe the whole Knights of Ren and the destruction of Luke's Order of Jedi happens, and then Rey is taken at that time because they are linear, uh, you know, they're, they're juxtaposed next to each other in the force vision. So I thought maybe what if Ray, what if that happens when Ray is that age and she's six or seven or whatever. So it happened a long, long time ago, maybe 10 years after the events of, uh, uh, or, you know, maybe, maybe 10 or 15 years before the events of, um, the force awakens. And that's not the case at all. Yeah, because I was thinking what happened was that Knights of Ren thing happened and, you know, the whole, like, oh, like, Ben couldn't kill Rey for whatever reason and then took her to Jakku, but this doesn't, this timeline does not support that. We do know, uh, again, since we've already name-checked Pablo, uh, there was another tweet that he made where he confirms that uh, Kyle Ren's 29 to 30 years old, uh, I think they've said that Rey is 18, so there's an age differential there that maybe helps your timeline seem a little more reasonable. Well, but uh, the the thing is, though, is that we're five or six years away from Force Awakens, and so if the times were the same, uh, and this has not happened yet, then Ray would be ten years older. Good point. Oh, right. Uh, sure, for sure. Um, you know it strikes the what what the book did for me as far as figuring out what happened to Ben is it, it uh, made me kind of go back and look at 
what we see Ben do as far as his force powers. And we don't see anything there that is necessarily overtly um, uh, dark side. I mean, the, the mind probing, certainly, but the majority of what he has in his bag of tricks that he uses throughout Force Awakens, uh, it's stuff that he could have very easily learned from Luke or developed uh, the, while he was being trained. So it, it seems like whatever his turn was, uh, maybe it didn't manifest so much in powers as it did in a change of his mind and sort of where his focus was. Um. Well, I mean, I definitely think if you look at all of his powers except for the mind probe are definitely defensive in nature, which kind of lends to the idea that... that well, I, Let me back up a second here. The interesting thing about this conversation is that Ben is not in... He does not appear in the flesh and bloodline uh, except for in a flashback as a baby. Oh, right, because they talk about him a couple times, but that's right, he never actually... And so, which is actually, it's in the first couple of chapters, that scene where Han is cradling baby Ben. Uh, that's a real tearjerker. Like, right off the bat, like, Claudia Gray is sort of playing with emotions. Um, well, mine, anyway. Um, For sure. No, I think... I think her strength, if you if you take this and Lost Stars next to one another, if I had to draw a line to sort of the thing that she brings to uh, Star Wars writing, it is that she knows how to get the emotional impact out of the characters and, and to, to find a way to make them relatable. I, I know there's a, a, a lot of genre fiction that tends to be about activity and about action and about what is going on in the world and I feel like her strength is that she plays with those relationship among characters so well and it's, it deepens all the the things that come that uh, are tragedy and agree and to follow up on that and I know we'll get into it more when we start talking about the characters but she did it really well in Lost Stars and did it exceptionally well in Bloodline too where she really explores the other side of the coin so well that even when in the beginning you're like, ugh, like how does anybody follow the empire? How does anybody believe in the populace? Or I'm getting my whichever group Ransom's in because I'm super prepared for this conversation. I got them mixed up. But she makes you, she finds these little avenues into their their ways of thinking and explains them so well that you're left like, oh, like, okay. Like I kind of see what, at least where they're coming from, even if I don't agree. And she's just remarkably talented at that. Yeah, the way she's able to bring light to two opposing ideologies and leave you to not... I mean, you're left to sympathize with one because you're not a fan of the Empire. She's just really good at making bad guys seem very, very sympathetic to the point where, is Castrofo a bad guy? No. No, I don't not think at all. Is. No, not, and not at especially all. like when you look at his perspective, like he believes what he's doing is right, and really what he's doing isn't—it's not heinous. He's not blowing up planets like Tarkin. So, yeah, I don't see him as a bad guy in the end at all. In uh, fact, I think it's there's there's an argument to be made that the really the worst thing that is in his character is this fascination with with relics which i i, I think are there's a pretty easy uh parallel to draw with somebody who maybe collects world war ii memorabilia and includes nazi stuff in there i think that's that's probably the equivalent of walking into a senator's office and seeing that they have ss gear there i think that's probably the worst thing you can say about him aside from that he just he's a politician and he kind of does the thing that politics requires of someone in order to be successful well i think that that's uh 
that you kind of bring up another aspect of this book that I think was much needed, at least for me in my enjoyment of this new canon and the new shape of the universe in the wake of Return of the Jedi, um, or even, I think, post-Battle of Jakku. I think Jakku is one of those things that they're talking about as the real end of the war, not not the Battle of Endor, which is a little weird to me, but I understand it. Um, because it's so new in the vernacular, you know what I mean? But the idea that, that this book offers us a clear view of the political situation of the galaxy that we haven't gotten anywhere else, and it's much appreciated, and it's the thing that I think was missing the most from Abrams' movie. was Exactly, as soon as you were saying that. I'm from, from The Force Awakens. Like, it was, it was just that much, that much context that the movie was missing that we needed... I think to make the movie that much more impactful. And I think that if you read this book and then watch the force awakens again, it adds so much to even just the one shot of, of Corey on Hosnian prime. Like even just that. Yeah. That's a, that's a moment in the movie that, that maybe is a little lost. I mean, best case scenario going in for the first time seeing the movie, that is a group of people that you know that are about to die. And of course that's sad just on a, on a human humanitarian level. But, but uh, now that we, after bloodline know that character and know the relationship and uh, know what the, the universe is losing at that moment. Uh, it, that's that's rough to watch. The couple of times that I've watched the movie since reading Bloodline, that scene is a much deeper and much more awful thing to watch. Well, do you think that that came from Abrams um, and his desire to swing away from the prequels that he was afraid to embrace um, things that George Lucas simply did better? I think no. he also... I, I think it was a time issue more than anything in Force Awakens, unfortunately. I, just, you know what I mean? Not enough time to like dive into everything. And with it being Episode 7 in the first Star Wars movie in a while, and as bitter as people were, incorrectly so, I think, about the amount of politics in the prequels, I feel like all that played in. I, I Even if we'd have just had one scene. Of course, Sela, I think... Corsella um, is such a fascinating character, doubly so after Bloodline, that I think we were kind of robbed a little bit of her getting one scene to try to convince Chancellor Villacham of the situation, the real situation uh, with um, the First Order. I think that that was... the. I, I think, you know, if that movie could have been 40 seconds longer, I think that would have been the right 40 seconds. I you know I'll be honest I'll go the other way I think that politics may have felt out of place in this movie I think really the, what we need to know about the politics is that uh, there's a first order and an opposition to them there is the resistance and and of course there's a political structure underneath there and I, I absolutely agree with you Brian the reason that he ran from it is because there was such an outcry particularly the in the first two prequels, uh, the amount of time that was spent uh, dealing with politics, um, I, I think he I'm probably, not... I think he cherry picked basically. He 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 knows the stuff that that is most likely to score with Star Wars fans, and and I, I think 
plus, if you think of Abrams' uh, body of work, he doesn't have anything that you can uh, point to that would give us any idea that he knows how to make politics well, crackle on the screen. So I, I, th- I think it's more – I'm not even asking for prequels-level politics. Even just – I mean, think about the context that was added to the destruction of Alderaan to make it feel meaningful. Well, and I'll even go, you know, what we learned about the, like, I mean, you can put things together if you are a Star Wars fan and a smart person when you watch Force Awakens, you can kind of get the gist. But I learned the most amount of information about the politics from the visual dictionary. And though I love that, I don't know how I feel about that. Like Brian said, I think there could have been just a a scene or a couple scenes that basically said, well, this was the New Republic, this is the Resistance, this is the First Order, but in a much more eloquent way that isn't just an info dump like that, obviously. But, sure, uh, the, and, and I'll say that the the Visual Dictionary does have that two page spread that's that's really nice and kind of filled in the holes that I had coming out of the movie. But but uh, I do agree that this this background in Bloodline fleshes out and deepens the the movie in a way that I didn't really expect going in. Well, yeah, I think that that's that's the issue with Bloodline is that we get a picture of how the galaxy has worked, and I think one of the saddest things in the Force Awakens for me was how short the happily ever after that are the heroes of the rebellion uh, that they were able to enjoy, right? And I think Bloodline really proves that they got they got a good twenty, you know, twenty five years of that that happily ever after. And it was it was at this point, I think Blood Point or Bloodline is the breaking point or shatter point, if you will, of what breaks all of that happily ever after and turns into to this 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 mess that we see playing out in the Force Awakens? Um, you know, I think I think Bloodline is that first pinch point in in the the decline of the galaxy, and I think part of it comes from that split in political ideology that we saw prior to the Clone Wars and the Separatists leaving the 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 Republic. And this book actually makes me more excited about the political situation in Episode Eight, knowing that Ryan Johnson had a hand in what the political situation was. Um, Ryan Johnson is the one who came up with the entire like napkin bombing plot. Yeah, fill us in on that because I didn't quite. I was just out of the loop enough not to hear like how like how do we learn that 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 Ryan Johnson did that part? Uh, Pablo. Oh, um, so Pablo tweeted that like there was there was a few things in the book um, that Ryan Johnson had come up with. So basically, what they did, the story group got together and said, "What's the situation here? Here's a bunch of ideas and story ideas we have," and they put them on some paper and handed that to Claudia Gray. And this is what Claudia Gray came out with. And there were very specific ideas that Ryan Johnson had contributed because of how he wanted to play things in Episode Eight and uh, the napkin plot was you know the napkin bombing was one um the just the general setup of the the galaxy but where where i'm heading is think about how fractured the galaxy is and how many different worlds are yearning for this or that and now the 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 body that organ the senate as dysfunctional as it was was keeping that equilibrium and you've got Ryan Johnson who's saying, like, this is what the situation was before Force Awakens, and now that's broken because of the destruction of Hosnian Prime and the loss of all of those leaders on both sides. The galaxy's going to be in as big of a swirl of turmoil 
as we've seen since the Clone War. Like, this- yeah, because it's not just like Alderaan. Like, you're not just losing a planet, which is terrible. You're losing the the, the entire government and and of- the fleet and a tremendous amount of resources, human and otherwise. And so, this book has me incredibly excited for Episode Eight because, um. You know, for for as focused as the story of of the Force Awakens was, I think what J.J. Abrams did with the destruction of Hosnian Prime means a lot, and it means a lot more in the context that Bloodlines Bloodline offers us. Yes, agreed. <laughs> um, anybody want to pick up off pick up on that or pick up from there? I could just keep talking. I could keep I w- talking, but I didn't want to go far into episode eight because I we have a whole book to talk about. Um, so, but I, I think that we're in for the the landscape as it as it stood at the end of episode seven. I, I, and also, I, I okay, I'm getting all over the place, but I'm excited to see what happens in episode eight. And given that Ryan Johnson has clearly already had some thoughts about politics in general, like I feel like we'll get more of we kind of have to to see how the New Republic puts itself back together. Um, I'm also really curious to see how much of the First Order, like what kind of blow losing Starkiller Base was to them. Because there were a significant amount of ships and people there. Yeah. That, um, was, that was not a small base. No. So it's like how much, how much is left? Or is there enough left to actually you know, still pose a serious threat to the galaxy or to the now ruined New Republic? So, But let's go back and talk about the state of politics in bloodline. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll also mention, uh, I'm looking back at those tweets where, where Pablo was talking about the, the sort of provenance of where the elements came from. And I thought it was interesting that he mentioned that Castrofo was a character that existed in early drafts of force awakens. I'm curious if that isn't an indication that at some point they felt the same way that you did, Brian, that, that some politics, uh, maybe would be useful or if maybe Castrofo had a much more active sort of action-based role that fit in with the rest of where the movie went. I, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting proposition, especially given where his character ends in bloodline, you know, what, how would that have shifted things significantly? I really love Castrofo as a character. Um, Castrofo is the, for for those of you uh, who need a reminder, or I don't know, um, he's sort of the young. I, I want to say he's like Leia's protege, even though he's on the other side of the political aisle. But he's a colleague. He's an ally of hers, a surprising ally because they don't agree on on politics. And I love. There's a line Leia has about Castrofo, and and she says he's he's wrong. But he's sincere. He's he's sincere, but he's still wrong. Um, and I think that sort of embodies him, where he's a young, a, a young politician who's just getting into this, who didn't, who was who was, I think, a, at best, a young boy during uh, the Battle of Endor, and all he has are the stories he's heard, and kind of just doesn't know better. And Leia is helping shape his perspective. At the same time, they're working on finding out who the criminal enterprises are behind the scenes that are that are subverting um that are subverting the will of good people in the galaxy um and turn out maybe to be um uh 
the First Order really in disguise, or aspects of people moving, maneuvering to put the First Order in place. Uh, you know, the the thing that I really kind of latched onto with Castrofo is uh, I'm I'm kind of a, a fictional political junkie. The the uh, House of Cards, the West Wing sort of thing. Um, and there's this prototype of a character that gets used over and over, and it's the junior senator that, it, that is, has political aspirations and has something that happens that sort of rockets them in the stratosphere. And it's, it's the, the Barack Obama story of it's your first year in the Senate and you make just enough of a name for yourself that suddenly you are kind of at the forefront of your party and, and, uh, and looking for bigger things. And so I kind of saw resonating moments with, with, uh, Castrofo and, and our current president in that they're, they're young. Uh, in this particular moment in their career, but it's clear that the trajectory is that they are headed for something very, very big down the road uh, when it comes to their political career. Yeah, he's written, you can tell almost immediately, and I, you know, I haven't watched a lot of... I, I totally see where you're coming from, Ryan, though. Like, you can always tell when characters have a certain charisma and a certain ambition, and I think Ransom has has both of those in spades so that almost immediately, and maybe it's part of it's the name too, because how great of a name is Ransom. Um, can't pronounce his last name, Castrofo. Well, yeah, I think uh, I, when I was reading it, I pronounced it in my head, Castrofo, and I'm told the audiobook pronounces it Casterfo. Uh, I saw somebody tweet about like which, like where the emphasis goes. It was probably Claudia Gray, but I didn't pay enough I think, attention to I think Castrofo sounds cooler, but so that's what I went with. I like that. And just immediately, as soon as we meet this character, I feel like you know he's something... You know he's something special. Um, I found it... I found him really it, it interesting that, that he's a much younger man and he's still trying to keep up with Leia, both intellectually and just as a, as a character of action and agency. Like... Leia is still so much a force to be reckoned with. She was so much still in her prime, but she just wants to retire. Like I, I loved that, that undercurrent in the book with her that she's basically like, this is the Riggs and Murtaugh relationship, right? And she's Murtaugh and she's ready to retire and, and she's too old for this. And, uh, he's sort of suicidally into the empire and, you know, he's her partner now, you know, (laughs) like I kind of got that undercurrent through it. And liked it for sure. I, and I, I also love that this is the rare book um, where you have a female protagonist. Where we're, uh, I mean, she's in a relationship, but the majority of the time she's spending with uh, a male counterpart. And I think a lesser author would have gone to romantic sort of uh, persuasion from both of them. Uh, but we, it's, it's made clear that uh, from Leia's perspective, the age difference between them absolutely inoculates them uh, from having there be people talk about it, that that uh, they can be out in the world and be seen with one another, and that nobody is whispering that, oh, is is she no longer with Han? I, I love that, it, that the book completely eschews that normal path and and goes to something that's that's much more it basically it's much more respectful of leia as a politician and, and lets her play in that world without having to deal with the romantic side of things because that's all sewn up with uh somebody that she has a child with 
And along that line, I really admire how this book shows how Han and Leia operate so independently of each other. I think that's important to show that not, I mean, not that I'd be opposed at like the moments where we do get them like kind of getting to be like husband and wife. And like, we see how their, their marriage, like in their home life works are just absolutely delightful. And I, I interviewed Claudia Gray about the book and she's like, I would write those scenes forever. But you know what? They, they each have their own things to do. They each have their own motivations. They each have their own purposes and goals. And I really, I just, we don't get I don't think we see enough of that of marriage written that way in pop culture. And even we don't see it a lot in society that it's, you can, you can have a functioning marriage and still completely be your own separate people living your own different lives, you know, and then it's still, I mean, you can argue about how maybe successful Han and Leia's marriage ultimately isn't, but I think that's more because of Ben and not because they were each doing their, their well, own stuff. I think that, that the force awakens implied, uh, the nature of Han and Leia's relationship to be one way. And I think this book subverted it completely, right? Like you, you get the still idea. Still very loving for sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Still very loving, but I love the way this book portrays it where it's like Han is doing his own thing and he checks in and it's just like, Hey, what's going on? Everything awesome. Need my help? No. Okay. And you can see Great. he's very concerned. Like they can, they care about each other. That's apparent in the way they talk to each other. And there's moments where she's like, "Ah, oh, I miss him." But it's I don't know. I loved everything about how their relationship was I written. Love, one of my favorite moments in the book, though, is when um, somebody had come over to her her quarters, and she said, uh, "You know, you should see it when my husband is here. You know, socks everywhere." And it. It just yes, that was great. Put this image in my head that Han Solo is just constantly peeling his socks off on the couch, uh, and just and he hiding seems like them under that there. Type. Yeah, like he would just like take his socks off, throw them everywhere, take yeah. his vest off, his holster, like it's just strewn all over the place. You you look at the inside of the Falcon, and it's clear uh, the, cleanliness <laughs> is not high on his list of things to to uh, make sure in his life. That's why I and I think that makes it even funnier when you go to the Force Awakens and she's like same jacket, like it's just like he doesn't even change clothes. It doesn't even matter to him. Oh, that's a great point. <laughs> um, I, think, I think if anything, the the picture of their relationship maybe softens the blow um, of what happens in the Force Awakens. It it feels like this sort of deep tragedy to me. Um, but uh, this is a couple who were long distance uh, for for a long, long time during their relationship. And when I say long distance, I realize that distances are really relative in this universe. And um, you know, the reality is that they are hollow vid calling each other all the time, and um, that when Han is needed actually in physical presence, that that that's not you know hours or days. That it's the sort of thing that can happen in a few hours. But but uh, I. I it, Knowing that there was such a sweet relationship there somehow makes the reunion in Force Awakens feel less like like they're revisiting a tragedy in their lives and and more that they had a relationship that uh, came to a moment uh, because of Ben that obviously was was horrible and that led them to separate from one another, but that there was a lot of sweetness in the background and that somehow made me a little happier about the, the entire swing of it. I don't necessarily think I don't get the idea that they were like separated. I think it was just like I, I this book gives me the idea that when whatever happened with Ben, I don't think that broke their relationship. 
I think what it did is they just went on their separate ways and they kind of drifted a little bit. You know what I mean? Like, like Leia was just like, I have to deal with this. And Han was like, I don't know. What am I going to do? Chewie, let's go. Um, because I think the, that, that's the other interesting thing here is that Han doesn't spend all of that time between the Battle of Jakku or not even the Battle of Jakku. I'm going to assume the Battle of Kashyyyk that we're going to see in Life Debt from there to Force Awakens, like Han and Chewie aren't together the whole time or it seems even at all. Yeah, because he goes and spends time with his family, the lumpy uh, and itchy and whoever, all of them, and the Jefferson. Oh gosh, what's that music group called? My brains today. Jefferson Starship. Jefferson Starship. Yes, they're just hanging out on Kashyyyk, celebrating. Um, but I thought that was interesting. The uh, the Delilah Dawson short story about uh, um, uh, scorched that was in. Um, Star Wars Insider uh, that stars Greer. It's sort of like how how she got on Han Solo's radar to start racing in the first place. Um, There's a really great line in there where she's like, hey, where did you learn that trick? And he's just like, I had a good co-pilot, you know, who taught me that kind of stuff. Um, And so it's like, I don't know, it's interesting. Han... The way Han and Luke and Leia get to have their careers after Return of the Jedi in this new era where we've we've uh, moved away from, from the Legends stuff that we'd taken for granted for so long is really fascinating to me, especially the, the mentions that Luke is very much a private citizen who doesn't – who's not attracting a spotlight to himself. He's going off and taking that that very introspective turn that you might expect a Jedi – and doesn't necessarily get the Jedi involved with the politics of the day, which is probably a smart move given what happened the last time they got involved. And Han very much just says, like, well, I can't be a smuggler anymore. I've got to be respectable. What can I do that still offers that level of danger? Well, I'm going to race spaceships. Um, like, I think that they're very, very interesting choices that... that Arguably, I think are more interesting choices than the, than those that were made in that that uh, that previous era of canon that was there. Uh, and by the way, how cool is it that Han Solo races spaceships for a living? I mean, uh, th- this is a callback all the way to to George's early career and drag racing. And I just I, I love that the authors who are involved with uh, canon right now are such fans and have such a deep knowledge of things that, that they're willing to sort of go back to. And, and it's, a, it's not like that's a, that's a radical departure for him. He didn't become a heart surgeon. Uh, you know, racing is, is right there important with the, the skills that he would have acquired as a smuggler. But, but I really do love that, that he goes back to something that was uh, very important to George's heart to the point where he has an entire section of The Phantom Menace that is just a race and uh, that that's what Han has been doing with his time. He he has a pit crew, and and they they race ships for a living. That that really tickled me. Um, the the other thing I think the the other biggest thing this book does is it gives us context that I don't think we had about uh, Vader and who knew what. Uh, this book, one of the, the central ideas of this book is that the galaxy finally finds out that Leia is Vader's daughter. 
Um, and it's something I would have assumed would have been common knowledge before then. But the way they do it in this book is so heartbreaking. I think reading the words of Bail Organa in that little music box were probably some of the most emotional moments I had reading this book. Oh, that was easily mine. Because I was with you. I assumed everybody would have known that like, they would have just been up front and looked like, look, it's Leia-chick. She's Vader's daughter and got it out of the way. And I feel like Leia was conflicted over keeping that hidden, too. I guess she got why it was important and necessary for her career and the bigger stakes involved. But how hard to keep that, that big of a thing a secret and carry that for so long. I'll admit that it maybe stretched credibility a little bit for me. Leia is such a pragmatist and has been through so many things. This feels like the sort of thing, I don't know, maybe it just adds depth to her character, but it feels like the sort of thing that she could have anticipated being a really huge scandal and wanting to get out in front of and sort of make known to people somewhere in the intervening 25 years. Did, did well, both of, both of you bought into that? Uh, I I did. I think part of it part of it too was like part of, part of it was how Leia is clearly still suffering from that knowledge herself. Um, it's it's something she's had a hard time coming to terms with. You know what I mean? Like, sure. There's there's an element of shame involved. Um, and the fact that and this is something I identified with like acutely but the idea that she had these vivid memories of this man torturing her of this i mean like her her knowledge her only knowledge her only firsthand experience of her biological father was the most intense pain she'd ever felt in her life whether that was from an interrogation droid or the destruction of her home planet like it's not something she'd want to say and and for all intents and purposes it is all intents and purposes, it is not a lie for her to say that her father was indeed Bail Organa. I mean, talk to any, you know, talk to kids that have that have been raised in, in adoptive scenarios and their adoptive parents are very much more their parents than, than the, the biological donors that brought them to life initially. Absolutely true. In fact, I'm I am one of those circumstances, and my my mom remarried, and my adopted father. I've I've never called him anything but. So I agree that it it doesn't stretch the the imagination that she thinks of Bale as her father. Uh, but at the end of the day, she's a very smart politician, and she understands the reality of what it is. And uh, to me, it seems like the sort of thing in twenty five years that you would maybe even construct a way to want to talk about publicly but um, well well and it's dangerous too because right it's one of those secrets that you feel so secure about nobody ever finding out because who knows luke and han and the droids good point so you know and none of them are going to tell a good point um that's not doesn't justify it you shouldn't keep secret just because you know the risk of anybody finding out is low but i well i get where she's coming from the empire had suppressed it completely too because no one had known either it was i mean that it came as a shock to luke is is sort of proof that people who knew who vader was but but didn't know about anakin skywalker um and then what would you put them together but I think the thing that's most fascinating about that idea, again, shades everything we know about The Force Awakens, and that's that they didn't tell Ben. Ben is so bent 
on the legacy of his grandfather, but it seems as though this is information that is new to him that he's only been able to explore in these years since Snoke, or maybe Snoke... Maybe, maybe Snoke knew and like kind of was like, hey, you should look into this Vader guy. He's pretty cool. Well, Or, or uh, I'll, I'll go even further. I, I, my opinion at this point is that this is the thing that Snoke used to turn him. No, I think it's I think it's I think it's exactly that to be honest. The way Palpatine maneuvered Anakin around the Jedi Council to say, "I'm telling you this and you're in my my circle of trust. Look at what they're not telling you. This is what I think is happening there. This is what they're probably going to do, and if they do that, you'll know they never trusted you in the first place." And I think that's what Snoke did here with the Vader thing. Snoke um, how Snoke found out, I don't know. Um, but especially because, like, like we said earlier, like that circle of people who knew was so small. Um, but uh, Pablo said on Twitter that you know way way a long ago, and I I reiterated it in the the that issue of Insider. Um, you know, like the the story about like the fifty things hidden inside anywhere. Uh, inside Force Awakens, but Pablo said that Snoke and Leia knew each other before all of the stuff with Ben went down. So if Snoke's sitting there going like, hey, this Vader guy, he's really your grandfather, but they'll never admit it. And and they'll never tell you willingly. And they'll do that because they don't love you. They don't trust you. Like, it's it's a total manipulation. Your point about Sidious and Anakin is I, – I love that. That that really is a nice parallel in that the the entire basis of the conversation and the way that the turn happens is all uh, couched in things like trust and lies and it's, it, it doesn't take much. Sidious doesn't – there are no grand strokes there. There are just gentle nudges where he uses the way that the Jedi Council – treats Anakin and reacts to Anakin um, to be able to turn him. And it's not hard to see Snoke doing something similar here because that's a pretty big betrayal. I, I certainly, I can, I, I can wrap my head around at least intellectually why it is that Leia doesn't want it to be public knowledge. Although I think as a politician, it would have made more sense for her to do something about it. But in the family to have that be a secret that's withheld, that's a pretty big deal. I, that part surprised me I, that she wouldn't tell Ben. I I think that kind of comes to my my single largest complaint about the book, and that as soon as I realized that I that Ben hadn't been told, and that Leia set together a message because she couldn't get a hold of him in person to say, "I would like to tell you this before you hear it from everybody else." who your grandfather really is, which has got to be a difficult conversation. Like Ryan, how, how, uh, how difficult would it be a, a conversation of you at this age, your mother to s- sit you down and say, uh, your father was actually, or your grandfather was actually Hitler. Yeah. Like, that's, that's just devastating, right? To, yeah. to, to be, to be of the age where you can intellectualize that, um, your parents have had lots of time to sort of, uh, walk you through the family tree and treat you to the story of where you come from and to have it be something completely different uh, would be um, awesome. But the, my complaint about the book is that I wanted one more chapter and I wanted it to be Ben responding to Leia and I wanted it to just be because the last message she sent him was Darth Vader's your grandfather 
and I wanted him to send her a very curt two-word message that would completely wreck and devastate her. And it was, I know. (laughs) Very, very nice. Yeah, I I would not have liked that that particular response, but I would have liked to see a response from Ben. But no, think about how perfect that response would have been. Because Would it it be perfect, or is that just like them using, having Akbar say it's a trap all the time? No, 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 because it like... It's it would a, read that way to me. It's 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 appropriate. It would shade that line and think about how much. But sometimes I'm gonna like just, like I don't think that line needs shaded more. Let 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 it. I, I don't know. Like there are sometimes it's one of those like that's touching me too much moments again. Like stop touching me. I wouldn't want that. And I think I, that would I think that would be too too much of a stretch to make Ben say I know. But how would he respond if if like think about how devastating that would be. And his response should be, what the F, Mom? But, but, but if he knew, if Snoke had already told him and he already knew, sending her that response that said, I know, would tell her everything, would, would, would tell her that the cat's out of the bag, that he knew that something else was going on, and that whatever was happening out there in the, the fringes of the galaxy with Luke Skywalker were not going well. I agree, but I just don't think he needs to say, I know. We don't need, we don't need that parallel. Do we we know authoritatively through this book that uh, Luke and Ben are together during this time? Is that we correct? We know we know that Leia thinks they are. Okay, I wonder if um, there isn't some room just to to go the other direction from what you were hoping for. Uh, he may never have gotten this message. It's entirely possible that he believes that they're still trying to keep a secret until the moment that it breaks. And uh, even if he isn't under Snoke's tutelage at this point, uh, if he is out looking for Jedi temples and doing whatever else Luke is doing, um, you know, it's possible that the message doesn't get to him. It it makes me want badly to know how Leia and Han find out about Ben's betrayal. And it's something I hope comes out in... uh, in episode eight, because that was, I want to see how this version of Han and Leia react to that. And I know we can't go back and get a prequel like we did with, I mean, how, how devastating it was to watch Vader through the classic trilogy and then see what actually turned him in revenge of the Sith. And then you go back. No, but we, we, we could end up with a flashback. Um, given the cast that, uh, has, was confirmed for eight, I, I don't think it's out of the realm that we'll end up with a flashback or two that fills in a few of those holes. At least I'm I, hoping for it. I, I, um, I don't think we'll get a flashback because flashbacks are not narrative devices we've seen in the Skywalker saga. Well, there aren't a lot of flashbacks in Star Wars, period. Um, but we do get Force I mean, Visions. Stuff, sure. Yeah, we do get Force Visions, but we don't, but I don't see think we, moments. I don't think we're going to see... Um, finding out about Ben. Now, the standalones, if it were a standalone, I think that would be a different story. I think the standalones have more freedom as far as the narrative language, the cinematic language they're allowed to use. Uh, but yeah, I think the Skywalker saga proper, it would be... Um, it would be... jarring to see that, I think. Personally. Just because it hasn't been done that way before. Except for Ray's Force Vision. I'm just saying well, that there's there, there's room for snippets to be in there as we're sort of exploring these new Jedi 
who's are not not Jedi, but Force users who whose powers have awakened. Uh, there may be some room to see dreams and well, other things. I think. Um, are you guys both caught up on Game of Thrones? Yes. Yes. So, so this season we've been seeing flashbacks, right? But they're from the perspective of a character who are who are who is in the here and now, currently in the timeline. And so if we were going to see flashbacks of things that happened in the past, I would assume that they would be couched in the context of the perspective of a character currently. So whether that would be a force vision or something else, it would have to be linear in the timeline for it to work in the Skywalker saga of Star Wars. And I think Game of Thrones came up with a really elegant solution for that with Bran you know, being shown the past and being able to react to it in a contemporary sense. Yeah, agreed, and that could be something they could, maybe Luke could do with Ray. I don't know, or Snoke could do with Ben. Um, so it, it, it's it's fascinating. This book, there's so much that happens in this book. We've already talked about the Hut Slayer thing on a, on an episode previous, um, which I think is really cool. And and uh, it was Tumblr. It was it was Tumblr that did it. Claudia Gray told that to Entertainment Weekly that. Uh, she was trolling Tumblr when that went around, and she happened to be outlining the book while that happened, and she wrote it in, and and uh, which is weird. Like uh, that's so cool, so cool. Um, but uh, the book, it's weird how like it's such a good book in its own right, and the characters in the book, not just Leia, but Castrofo and Greer, and even Joff Sea Striker, and uh. You know, uh, Corey Sella and all of the other, like, uh, Lady Carice. Uh, and I loved that, that subplot where she finds out about Vader through that Bail Organa message and then gives oh, that. What a terrible, terrible woman. Um, but the book is so. I, I guess the thing is, is like take the tenor of the conversation that this book has taken, and it's so ingrained in the fabric of what we know about Star Wars that it's almost hard to talk about the actual events of the book because we're more fascinated by all of the questions it raises. Does it? Does that make sense? Like it's 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 added oh yeah, you just so spiral much. into like what does this mean and and how does it affect X Y and Z? Because it it affects so much of the timeline. It's so interesting with. I, you know, I try not to touch on the canon story a lot because, look, at, at the end of the day, I think Pablo said it best. All the canon means is whether X event and X book affects another event in another book. It doesn't mean that it's a bad story or a good story. But I think the part where it affects all the stories we know, it's such a fascinating element. And it's still relatively new to us to read a book that actually influences the films and animated series and everything we've seen. So the way that it all ties together, every time we get a new book, I'm, I always think about like, oh, like what color does it add to the past? What does it mean for the future? You can't help but do that. And I think that's an argument pro, like pro having a unified universe like we do oh, now. Oh, absolutely. That, I think that was my, one of my favorite moments of Aftermath was the very first moment where we see the crowds tossing off stormtroopers on Coruscant and pulling down Palpatine's statue and and then the stormtrooper and then more troops show up and then they start taking bits of the statue and start throwing it at the troopers and and you realize that a conversion of government isn't instantaneous because they blew up ahead of it it's going to be messy 
it, and it's going to be messy for a while. And it's never some. It's taken me a long time. The first time I read that in Aftermath, I was a little taken aback by it. Um, especially since I read Aftermath before the movie had come out, and I didn't know how things would go. And I think that's one of the things that made Bloodline so interesting as well, in that it's that first thing that that bridges a gap with any meaning between the rebellion we knew and the Republic we got in force awakens. I'm glad you mentioned aftermath because the, the two books aftermath and bloodline, um, if you'd, if you'd given me sort of the three sentence setup for either of the books, uh, sort of the, what the setting and what the, the grand sweep of the, the action was going to be, uh, both of those books did such an amazing job of subverting my expectations as a longtime Star Wars fan and somebody who just loves the universe. I really thought that both of these were going to be very different books as far as what they would cover and as far as the world they would be describing. And, and both of them just uh, surprised me at every turn. They're, they're really nice companion pieces to one another. Well, I think that that's a, that's a testament to the work that the story group is doing, right? They're giving us stuff that seems surprising, but it's somehow inevitable as well. Um, and they're connecting yeah. it all together so that we're having conversations like this rather than... Um, I, don't even, I, mean, I don't even know how the conversation like this would, would go. I mean, maybe... Um, I, I think Lords of the Sith might be a good example, where it's like, I really loved Lords of the Sith, and when we talked about it, it, it added shades to the relationship between Palpatine and Vader, but that's such a narrow focus that it didn't have wide-reaching uh, wide-reaching um, ripples on the galaxy outside of it. So when we talked about Lords of the Sith, it was very easy to keep it within the confines of the events of the book, and with Bloodline, and even with Aftermath, there's just so much going on that affects everything. Well, that- I... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, it, it's just, it's, it's, it's like heady. I want to say Lords of the Sith, though, is an interesting beast in that, though, it is a very personal story about Palpatine and Vader and that little kind of adventure they have when they're marooned. It's, you know, well, in- the Gilligan's Island. But I want to say that it is also a bigger story because it is Palpatine and Vader. Like, if it's any two other Jokers, it's not as relevant. But because of what we saw in Palpatine and Vader's relationship, like it made me think so much about the original trilogy. Like every time Vader is kind of, because you know, he's like, oh, like starting to have thoughts about bringing Luke into the fold and overthrowing Palpatine. And we saw so much in the Lords of the Sith that Palpatine knows every fracking thing Vader's thinking. He knows, he knows when he's lying. He's like Santa Claus, but in Star Wars, he knows it all so like seeing that part of their relationship even though it was on a micro level like informed it did inform the bigger picture for me because it was those two maybe that's a bad example too because now that i'm thinking about it i just rewatched the episode of rebels uh called homecoming with with champs and doula and lords of the sith really hits home why kanan is so starstruck by him like this is the guy that could have killed vader you know but it does. Uh, but I do take your original point, Brian, and I think it's a really good one. Um, there was a feeling to me uh, reading the Legends material that the authors felt a little caged in as far as what they could do, and whether that was by design, uh, 
the request of the people giving them the writing assignment or just that the universe felt so big and they knew that they couldn't really push out too much into it I, i'm not sure but the fact that the there now is the story group actually giving people full reign to play and to answer questions like can i do this to the universe i, I think it really has uh, yielded some really interesting work i can't imagine either one of these books existing prior to, to the story group being formed and the, and the revision of the canon because everything there felt a little claustrophobic. Well, I think the other really fascinating thing about this too that I think is a, a testament to how smart Claudia Gray is and how great of a writer she is is that she turned in her first draft of this before she'd seen The Force Awakens and she was in the guiding hands of the story group to make sure that she turned something in that, that fit and asked them, you're going to have to guide me because I don't want force awakens ruined for me. Um, and she went back and she was able to change a few things, um, because of, uh, because she had seen the movie before the book had come out, obviously. All right. Um, but, uh, I know it, it, the, what she was able to pull off, in a rough draft form, I'm sure, without having seen the movies, nothing short of astounding. If you want to hear more about her talking about that, um, you can go back and listen, you know, five or six episodes back, uh, my, my interview with her from Salt Lake Comic Con. Uh, thank you for f- facilitating that, Ryan. Happy to. It was a great interview, and uh, we were so happy to have her as a guest, a charming woman. But like you say, just this this instinct as a storyteller, it's one of those sort of ephemeral things uh, that Spielberg has, that a few other filmmakers have and a few other novelists have, but you you feel like you're in very sure hands when you're reading her work, Lost Stars being another example of, of a book that just blew me away. And so uh, it was, we were really happy to have her and, uh, and happy with the way that that uh, spotlight panel went. I, I think that between this and Lost Stars, I would put her on my, my, my list of favorite Star Wars authors, like hands down. Sure. Lost Stars yes. is, is – go ahead, Amy. Oh, I was thinking we're going to say the same thing. Lost Stars is your favorite of the – Yep, absolutely. It Me is too. Hands down my favorite Star Wars book. Uh, I, such a surprising piece. So we're all in agreement on that. Yes. So um, I cannot believe we've already gone through an hour talking about this book. And I don't even feel like we really talked about the book. I feel like we talked around the book. Then let's do, let's wrap up with quick-ish yeah. thoughts about the books. Or That's, maybe like the characters we like most. Or That was definitely uh, where, where we're headed. Why don't you start, Amy, like the the 30,000 foot view. What did, you, what did you like about Bloodline? And uh, would you... How, what sort of people would you recommend it to? I would recommend, I mean, honestly, if you're a Leia fan, I think that's a no-brainer. If you want to know more about what she's up to, you should absolutely pick this book up. I enjoyed seeing her as a politician in a post-Return of the Jedi world and how she's moved on and how she's played the game. And I was very moved by how much Alderaan plays in, like her memories of Alderaan and the destruction of Alderaan and what that did to her plays into her sense of duty and sense of self. I think that was a super fascinating thing Claudia Gray explored in this book. And a really meaningful thing that that just got me a few times to think about 
Because you don't think about Leia just bucks up through so much of the original trilogy and carries on. You don't think about what something like that does to a person and what that does to her. And I think we saw that in Bloodline, and I enjoyed exploring that side of her. I really enjoyed seeing her and Han's marriage kind of played out. And I loved, she got to be a kick-ass general, and she's not a general yet, but princess, I guess, on adventures. She's working in the underworld. She's called Hut Slayer. There was just a, such a mix of things about her personality that I like seeing, you know, given depth. So that's my, that's my overview, I guess. Of, of I just I enjoyed the hell out of the book. There was very little I had to complain about. Ryan, uh, like I mentioned before, I'm a big House Cards fan, and so I like a good arch, completely evil villain and. Uh, Lady Carice fills that uh, spot very nicely for me in this book. I I love just a craven, awful character and seeing them uh, be defeated by the good guys. And uh, that entire storyline is just gold for me. Uh, watching Leia be able to suss out the difference between Castrofo, who has some of the trappings, and to Leia's eye in the beginning, is a really bad person – but then takes in all the evidence of her interactions with him and changes her mind during the course of the story, and then being able to see Lady Carice, uh believe that she's a, a somebody who's an ally to start with, but then once she's seen for who she is, uh, I just love the way that she's handled in the book, and it that uh, that appealed to me a lot. I'll also mention that uh, the, uh, this felt like a nice segue into the Poe Dameron comics that are going on right now, in that this book provides you sort of the, the bedrock for how the Resistance begins to be formed, and a the Poe Dameron comic is is continuing that storyline along nicely. So those are two things to look at if you're a fan of the comics, uh, especially in the the new uh, world of the canon. That Poe Dameron one is is really really good. Um, just just my quick thoughts is I think this book is a if if you're interested in understanding the galaxy, you almost have to read this book. Um, and uh, I would I would recommend even if even if you don't read a whole lot. Uh, get the audiobook even i'm i've i've heard from more than a few people that the audiobook is is fantastic um and it's it's a great iteration of it because this it it's not it's not a filler it's it's important it adds to star wars in ways that you'd never guess and i'm wondering it'll be really interesting to go back and read this book after episode 8 to see how much of ryan johnson's influence was there in order to set things up we're going to see in that next movie um and and i think that that's a pretty bold choice to give it to us a full year and a half before that movie's coming out too to let us to let us stew in it and make guesses um so yeah i would this is near the top of my list of favorite star wars books even um and and i would definitely recommend if if you care about the galaxy that you should probably give this one a read even if you don't care for the writing or even if leia is your, not your favorite character um this book is meaningful to star wars um so with that that's uh that's episode 167 of full of sith really quickly um Ryan, do you want to tell people where they can get a hold of you or, or where they can see your work? 
Uh, sure. I, I actually blog at ireviewsomething.com. Um, aside from that, uh, the majority of the work that they'd be interested in will be coming up at uh, Salt Lake Comic Con September 1st through 3rd. Uh, we have already some panels lined up that are really going to knock the socks off of uh, fans in general, but Star Wars fans in particular. Uh, I'll, I'll maybe break some news and mention that Pablo Hidalgo, who has joined us for the last couple of shows, will be joining us once again in September, and we're excited to have him come and represent the story group and speak as kind of the uh, the world's expert on Star Wars at this point. So we're excited to have that happen, and uh, thank you so much for having me. It was really fun to uh, to join you and talk about a really, really great book. Oh, it, it was our pleasure to have you, and, and, uh, and uh, I look forward to Salt Lake Comic Con. It's one of my favorite shows. And... Uh, Amy, do you want to tell people where they can read your stuff and find you and you're all over the place? And you've got some news to announce, too. I was like, I do, I do. So my news, which I'm still like in shock about, is I will be hosting the behind-the-scenes stage at Celebration Europe this summer, which is bananas. So if you're going to Celebration Europe, I will be living on that stage Friday through Sunday. I'll change clothes and shower and everything between, but mostly I'm living on that stage. I'm going to come haunt you at that stage. Please, everybody, come visit me. I'm, I can't wait to, I can't wait to find out and share like what panels I'll be covering, like hosting. That's pretty exciting business. Um, very exciting, very uh, very exciting. Yeah, and you can find me on the interwebs, uh, mostly on Twitter. I use that a lot, but I'm also on Instagram and Snapchat at Amy underscore Geek. And you can find my writing on Nerdist.com, StarWars.com, and in Star Wars Insider Magazine. I think the newest issue has. A fair amount of things from both Brian and I, so you should go pick that up. It's the uh, the Amy and Brian Star Wars Power Hour. Yes. Plus that short story that ties into Bloodline, so uh, definitely that I worth need reading. to read. Yeah, no, it's yes. it's really good. Um, you can find my uh, fictional writing at brianyoungfiction.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Swankmatron. You can read uh, my columns at StarWars.com. I'm actually uh, you're going to be seeing. Articles for me on StarWars.com every week now. So I've got another regular column that should be starting soon by the time you hear this, possibly already. But uh, uh, it's playlists of topics uh, in Star Wars. So like, uh, you know, like, hey, I'm interested in the balance of the force like we talked about. Here's all the things you need to watch or read or listen to that'll, that'll oh, what give, a cool idea. give you that 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 scoop so that's uh coming down the pipe and you can still read my stuff in star wars insider and big shiny robot and i don't know other places i'm always really bad at that but mike yells at me if i don't if i don't go through this spiel and brianyoungfiction.net dot com dot com com. wow fail sorry um no it's okay it's totally okay um and then for Full of Sith, we would love for you to review the show if you feel the need on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever platform you listen to it on. We'd also love to hear from you. Leave voicemails uh, on our SpeakPipe app on the website, and there's a phone number there, too, you can call. Um, soon, if you guys all start leaving voicemails, uh, again, we'll, we'll, maybe we'll do a show just with us just answering questions. Uh, from your voicemails or your emails. If you want to email us, you can get us at holocron at fullofsith.com. And Mike sends those out to Amy and I sort of once a month or so, and uh, we'll we'll go through them. And um, we usually respond. Most of the emails, we haven't been responding on the 
the show as much, but I know we've been responding directly to people via email with the three of us, so so that's uh, a way to get a hold of us. Before I forget, there's a last-second addendum here. We have a uh, contest for the Star Wars character encyclopedia from DK, uh, written by Pablo Hidalgo. It's a great book. It's really fascinating. Uh, even if it's a little weird in Star Wars... Uh, in Star Wars reference books and that it's written in the the present tense, but that's okay. Um, It's still got a lot of really great information in it, and we want to... uh, We teamed up with DK to give you a copy, so you know the the standard uh, contest entry for Full of Sith, um, write a review of the, the show wherever you listen to it, iTunes or Stitcher or your website or wherever, and... Shoot us an email, let us know you've done that, and uh, send us your address with it so when we pick the winner, we can have it shipped straight to you. Uh, and we'll, we'll let you know we'll let you know if you're the winner. Uh, so without further ado, uh, back to your regularly scheduled programming. So I think that's everything. I'm not Mike, so I'm not very good at this whole wrap-up thing. But uh, for... Mike Pilot, who couldn't be here with us today, and from the, my, my two co-hosts today on the show, uh, Amy Ratcliffe and Ryan Call, I'm Brian Young, and the Force will be with you, always. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.